Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Anne Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Welcome back, Heart-Centered listeners. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm so thrilled today to have a very special guest with us. His name is Corbett Barr. Corbett is the founder and CEO of Fizzle. He's been self-employed on the internet since 2005, earning a living from blogging, podcasting, online courses, memberships, service as a software, and more. He's bootstrapped, freelanced, consulted, and raised venture capital. Recently, he started over to refocus on writing and to reevaluate his digital self. He's currently interested in the creator economy, digital minimalism, and tech for social good. I want to say that Corbett is one of the most humble human beings I've gotten to know. In fact, I've been a member of his physical community for over three years, and I've learned a lot from him, not only from him, but his team as well in building Hearts Rise Up's online presence. What I appreciate most about Corbett is his integrity, his honesty, and his authenticity. It's amazing. Corbett, welcome to the show. Carol, thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and that was a lovely intro. Thank you for that. Well. It is authentic and comes from the heart. And I would just want to thank you for joining me today because one of the things I'm proud of with our podcast is the heartfelt wisdom that our guests share about their personal journey and how that opens the door for new ways of seeing, thinking, feeling, and just experiencing the world. So I'm thrilled to have you here today to be able to share elements or pieces of your personal journey that have shaped your way of seeing, thinking, feeling, and experiencing the world. And I definitely want to dive into talking about the role of social media because of the reevaluating your digital self recently, and just some of the things that you're really interested in. So we're going to cover a variety of things. But first, what I'd like to ask you is, Do you have a personal philosophy on life? And if so, has it evolved over time? Yes, absolutely. I would say that it has evolved over time. And let me see if I I can articulate (laughs) what it is. I'll, I'll start by telling you that the thing that has probably shaped my philosophy and the way that I live most was an event that happened in 2009. 
So after the 2008 financial collapse, I had been running a venture capital-backed startup in San Francisco where we had an office, employees, investors. I had a co-founder, all those sorts of things. And we were caught in kind of a bad position when the financial world collapsed. We weren't able to raise enough money to keep the entire vision and team intact, and yet we didn't have enough revenue to support it ourselves yet. So we had to make some hard decisions. And after three years of just running against everything, you know, just working 60-hour weeks, finding myself at the office at 11 p.m. all the time, you know, barely recognizing my wife certain days and doing everything that I could to try to make this company succeed, I guess in the hopes that we would become a big success and then we would make a bunch of money and be able to do whatever we wanted to do with our lives. That vision exploded in my face at this point. I knew that I was burnout and that if I jumped right into something else, I would probably come up against just being completely burned out and not having enough energy to see something through. So instead of just starting something else or scrapping to keep this vision alive, I decided to hit the reset button. This was in 2009, early 2009. And my wife and I took a sabbatical for about seven months. We took a road trip. We left uh, San Francisco in our Subaru with our dog and drove south to Mexico. While on that trip, my life completely changed because I thought I would just spend some time coming up with a new business idea and figure out some way to build my business differently so that I didn't experience all the negatives of running such a high pressure kind of venture backed business like I did before. But instead, we ended up meeting people on that trip who had different philosophies of life. These were people who had figured out ways to make their career work around their lives instead of the other way around. And I was in my early 30s at the time, and I'm so thankful that I encountered this when I did because it made me realize that life is now. It's not about something in the future. It's not about achieving something so that you can begin living. It's about figuring out ways to, for me, really to do both, to be able to put food on the table. That's an important thing. We all have to earn a living. But also, there are a lot of ways, especially now with technology, that we can live the lives that we want to live without letting our careers dictate everything about us. That really set me off on, I would say, the second major chapter in my life. And again, in my early 30s and, and now in my mid-40s, I just am so thankful for that trip. Well, it's there's a lot to be said for having... I guess, the wherewithal and the instinct to take that time for yourself so that you could reflect. Because otherwise, if you had just continued on with diving into another project, you wouldn't have had that time to really think about what was important to you and even had those conversations with others that have given you a different perspective on things. I'm curious, was there a particular conversation or was it just a collective of conversations over time that triggered something for you? I would say it was really three things. 
the foundation of it all was getting away from the influences that I was so steeped in living in the Bay Area for enough time that I could really reconnect with who I was at the core and not be so influenced by what other people wanted for themselves around me. Mm. So that was the foundation. And I think that can happen for anyone on a sabbatical or just a good period of time away. The second thing was that I started writing. I started a blog on a whim, basically to chronicle our trip. And then also to ask myself big questions out loud about the nature of career and life and the relationship between the two. And then the third thing was meeting people from all kinds of different walks of life. Some people, you know, and these are still friends today. In fact, we've returned to Mexico every year since that initial sabbatical. But just thinking about those people that we met from relatively young ages to more advanced ages and everywhere in between, people who ran all kinds of businesses and worked all kinds of careers from contractors who built houses to nurses to an acupuncturist, all kinds of people who had figured out ways that they could really live the life that they wanted to. And for a lot of these people, it meant being either location independent or nomadic so that they could enjoy winters in this small, enchanted little town every year. But really just this, it's, it's hard to put your finger on, but it's just this sense that certain people have that life is what you make it and not necessarily what everyone around you says that it has to be. And that there are these invisible rules that a lot of people live by. But as soon as you kind of see those for what they are and recognize that you don't have to follow other people's rules, it really opens up a lot of possibility. And that's what that six, seven month period was for me, just recognizing alternate realities and possibilities. And it opens up the opportunity for you to trust in yourself because a lot of people, they just go down the traditional path of you know, going to work for a company and, or, you know, it's a small company and they also tend to live their life based on what they think they should do rather than perhaps what is really true for them. So I'm, I'm curious what happened after that seven month sabbatical. So how did, what was the, the reset for you and what direction did you take from there? Because I mean, obviously I can see how fizzle is uh, in some respects helps people live that kind of lifestyle because of what you were all about. But there had to have been steps in between that got you to, to the point that you had uh, founded Fizzle and moved in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the beginnings of that was starting a blog and finding my place in the world and finding my people. And through the magic of the internet and connecting with people, recognizing that there were other people out there who felt the same way and cared about the same things. And it turns out that there were several movements happening at once. There was something called location independence, being able to live and work wherever you want. Something called lifestyle design, which I guess was um, initially coined by Tim Ferriss in the four-hour work week. And it wasn't necessarily that I connected with the specifics of, you know, any particular book or philosophy, but just by writing online, people came out of the woodwork to reach out and say, 
to tell me their stories and what they were working on or what they appreciated about what I was doing or what I was writing about. And recognizing the power of building a small tribe of people who are all interested in in something similar. I had always, as an entrepreneur, thought that you first built a product and then you went in search of the people who might want that product. And here I was now with a group of people who seemed to want something, but I didn't yet have a product. It led me down this path of pursuing audience first strategies. So whether it's blogging or podcasting or creating YouTube videos or whatever, there is such power in connecting with people through producing content and then figuring out ways to be more helpful to those people in such a way that they would be willing to pay you for something. Mm -hmm. That was another radical transformation for me as, as an entrepreneur in my career. And now looking back, I would say that the single most valuable thing I have done in my life has been writing online. Yeah, I bet. Because that's a way of expressing and bringing forth into the world what's inside you. And not only what's inside you, but what is kind of out on the periphery that is coming in from a a larger collective consciousness. What lessons have you learned along the way? What lessons have I learned? Boy, a lot of lessons. I mean, there are nuts and bolts lessons about entrepreneurship and how you build a business in a way that lowers the risk of building something that no one wants. I think a lot of people have this dream of starting a business and they don't know how to get started and they probably get a lot of strange advice from, you know, their random uncle or whatever. Most people end up working really hard on something only to find out that they've built something that nobody wants enough to pay for. And that's a that's a really really hard lesson because a lot of people stop there and they assume that there is something wrong with them and that they're not cut out for it or they're not worthy or valuable enough. And it's really easy to kind of take that as a, a big sign that the universe is saying, you know, who are you to think you can do this? You just have to realize that anytime you're creating something that you want to sell to someone else, regardless of it being a service or a product or a physical product or a digital product, whatever you are basically starting with a hypothesis. You believe that there is a group of people out there who have some sort of problem, need, or desire that you can fulfill for them in a way that they will be willing to pay for. So you're starting with that hypothesis, and then you go out and talk to people to try to validate that hypothesis, and then you build something and put it in front of them and see if they actually want to buy that thing. But So many people have this vision of the entrepreneur as being this sort of mad genius that goes away into a basement for a couple of years, tinkering on something to perfect it so that when they unleash it on the world, everyone realizes how brilliant they are and they're so thankful that they've solved this enormous problem for them. That just creates this giant risk because if you put all that time and effort and your life savings into something, you don't have any gas left in the tank when you find out that something was wrong with what you created. And so if you think about it more in this scientific hypothesis-driven approach, you shorten that cycle, you make it a more collaborative, iterative sort of process, and you reserve energy and time and money so that you can perfect this thing over time as opposed to trying to get it right all in one shot. Mm. And that's been 
night and day for me because I had a couple of failed, exhaustive attempts at building businesses. And now since I've decided to build everything audience first in this collaborative, iterative process, I really haven't had a failure in the traditional sense. I've definitely learned from attempts that haven't gone the way that I thought they would, but I've always been able to live to fight another day so that I can turn around something that I started with and make it into something that is is truly valuable for people. Have there been times in your life that you didn't listen to your heart or you couldn't tell the difference between what your heart was saying and what your head was saying? Yeah, absolutely. Early on, I remember just kind of pursuing whichever opportunity seemed to offer the most quote unquote opportunity, which really, you know, when you're young, you feel like opportunity is money and status. So I found myself consulting for Fortune 500 companies, helping these massive organizations that just are doing things that I could care less about and participating in a way that didn't lift me up and just really put myself in some bad positions that it, that strained my marriage and left me kind of wondering, like, is this all there is to life? Those were all decisions that were really made with not necessarily just my head, but certainly not my heart, more like trying to funnel what I was doing into what society says it values in people or what you think society says based on all the inputs that you're taking in. Now, I would say, you know, I, I tend to be an analytical person, so it's always hard to make a decision without a lot of head involved. But I have learned to listen to my heart and also that there are reflections of what my heart is saying that I can't necessarily hear. Sometimes it's having a conversation with my wife and getting her initial take because I can tend to overthink things. Sometimes she has a better way of recognizing when I am pursuing potentially a decision that is incongruent with who I really am. And we've learned together in a partnership, we've been together for 27 years already. Wow. Since we were in high school, we've learned together that there are decisions that are better for the both of us, but specifically better for me in feeding me energy as opposed to de depleting energy from me. And it's amazing when you learn to work on projects that give you energy because you can just show up and make things happen as opposed to having to drag yourself into the situation every day. And I've been on both sides of that fence. If you can figure out, and you know, I love that you call it heart-centered living, if you can figure out those things that lift you up, that allow you to share your unique gifts with people and to put yourself in situations where you're really appreciated for who you are, what you bring to the table, and as a whole person, as opposed to just a particular set of skills or whatever, it just makes your life and your work come together in a way that I think everyone should experience in their lives, but unfortunately, most people don't. That's right. And it's uh, really about living in joy and bringing joy to the world. It's hard to do that if we don't have enough love for ourselves. Mm. And I, I think that that's part of the problem. And a lot of that is stems from early conditioning that many of us humans go through from the time that we open our eyes as babies and, you know, as, as babies, everything is beautiful. The, the world is, is just perfect. But over time, 
we've become conditioned to think and feel and see and perceive and be a certain way. And that just becomes deeply rooted within us. But I want to applaud you for taking the opportunity to really listen to yourself because I've been there too. I worked in corporate for a number of years and then ventured out into consulting uh, on my own and, and partnering with someone. And I really felt like, what kind of value am I really? And I knew I was delivering value, let's put it that way, but I just don't think that organizations were really getting it or really totally committed, even though they would say one thing, but doing it and following through was another thing. And so I became a bit disillusioned myself, which is why I started exploring other aspects of what I could do and then just exploring more personally about myself. And I think that's what more people need to do these days. And it sounds like you did that and you just recently did that with respect to evaluating the role of social media in your life. Share a little bit about how you came to the conclusion that you needed to make some changes there and when, where are you at with that right now? Uh, share also your perspective so that it might help others reconsider what they're doing in that arena. Yeah. And before I do that, I just want to step back a second and reflect on what you said about needing to love yourself and respect and value yourself before you can really find your place, I guess, in the world. There's a quote I love from E.E. E. Cummings, if you don't mind. It says, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight. This is all, to me, about being yourself. And in order to be yourself, you really you have to understand who you are, but you also have to respect yourself. And I would say I was conditioned in school that I was good and smart at certain things. And so I definitely had an ego and a bit of self-confidence around what I could do and how I could be useful, especially in math and communication and writing software and things like that. But I would say it was surface ego because I also grew up in an environment where we never really explored our emotions. We never really recognized or, or I didn't really explore and understand the whole being, the whole person that I was. And so I, I went through the world with this mask on that I was a capable, intelligent person who could accomplish certain things, but I really knew nothing about the inside, what I needed to be nourished as a whole person. And so I was really susceptible, I think, to that E.E. E. Cummings quote, which is, we all live in a world that is doing its best night and day to make us into everybody else as opposed to being ourselves because I didn't necessarily know who I was. It took a lot of introspection and a lot of reading and talking with people and understanding that mental health is not something to, to be ashamed of, that mindfulness and meditation and other things can be very useful to us. Sometimes you need to just sit and be quiet with yourself to really listen and, and understand who you are and what matters to you and so on. And part of it's just about 
getting older and trusting in yourself and, and having more wisdom and so on. To relate all this back to social media, this is an example where I was allowing the world to decide for me what it wanted. And I think a lot of us do that. It feels like we need to be on social media because everyone else is on social media. It feels especially that if we run a business, we have to spend time on social media because there are opportunities there and so on. But this ran counter to the fact that I felt like it was a net negative use of my time, especially emotionally. Every time I tuned in, especially to Instagram and other platforms that are very visually based, I felt less about myself after I walked away from those during my hour of scrolling or whatever it was that I was doing on there. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get trapped in these comparison games and feel like you're missing out on certain things and so on because everyone is doing so much posturing there and presenting themselves as something that probably is not really their lives. And at the same time, as I started looking into it and reflecting, I realized that it wasn't returning a whole lot to my business either. I kind of went into it assuming that if I spent a lot of time there, it was valuable to me from a business standpoint. And it turns out there wasn't really a return on investment there. So here I am feeling emotionally drained and not seeing any return. So I started wondering, like, why the heck am I doing this? And then I dove deeper into social media just as a phenomenon in our lives, in society, and recognizing that it's only, you know, been in the past 10 years or so that a lot of us have spent time on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all the rest of them. And it's not a very natural thing as humans to just be interacting with people, not really interacting with people, just posting stuff out there and consuming stuff, but not really having a conversation. And it's almost this game of one-upsmanship. If you've seen, there's a documentary called The Social Dilemma, which is incredible. It's on Netflix. They really kind of pull back the curtain on the people pulling the strings behind the social media networks. And you come to realize through accounts of people that literally built these things that their number one goal is to manipulate you as a user into feeling like you need to spend as much time there as possible, regardless of how it makes you feel, regardless of what it does to you, uh, your mental health, and regardless of what it does to our society. Their job is just to keep you coming back so that you are there to consume ads or to buy whatever it is that they're selling. It's a really sad state of affairs, especially you know, with things that have happened over the past year or so to recognize how torn apart our society has become and that the businesses running these things are at least partly responsible, if not majorly so, and yet they haven't changed a thing about those platforms. And so I just recognized for myself because it's not returning me anything. And by being there, I'm supporting this machine that's doing something that I don't agree with. I really questioned all of it. And so I decided as a first step to delete all of the content that I've ever published on social media on all the platforms. And I took a step back to feel what that felt like. It was a little scary, right? We all have these feelings like, oh, I've put so much effort and time into this. I have all these people I'm connected to. There has to be value there. But I started by deleting all of that and nothing happened. It felt totally fine. I mean, I saved an archive to my my local computer in case I ever wanted to see it, but it's been nine months now and I haven't gone to look at any of it. And I also haven't felt any effects from deleting all of that content. 
So then the next step was I decided to close my accounts on every network except for Twitter. And we can talk about that in a second, but I closed LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, every other random social media platform that I'd been a part of. And some of them I participated in quite a bit and I closed all those accounts. Immediately, I just kind of felt this weight off my shoulders because now instead of feeling that tug or guilt of needing to go and tune into something, it just wasn't there anymore. And so instead I could spend time doing something that was more valuable to me. That's brave. And I've been able to fill that time so easily with reading, with podcasting. I, I've, I committed to being a guest on someone else's podcast as frequently as I could this year. And having these real person-to-person in-depth conversations to me is just so much more useful, regardless of how many people are, are listening to this. I just enjoy these conversations and exploring these important topics with someone else who I learn from, you know, in 45 minutes or an hour. So all in all, it's been incredibly positive to me. And I just kind of question the value of, of social media overall and whether or not it's a net negative to individuals and society both. And it really hasn't affected your ability to grow fizzle, grow that business, has it? I struggle with the same thing, although I have tended to really resist doing a whole lot on social media. And I do feel like sometimes I have really missed out, but maybe I haven't. You know, I think it all comes down to what you're willing to sacrifice and and how well you can compartmentalize things. You know, it's ironic. We were talking earlier about what you learn from being in the corporate environment, about how you don't want to be treated and what a struggle it can be, especially early on in your career. But as I have gotten to know myself better and to be more grounded in who I am, I feel like I can resist those feelings and kind of put if, you know, for example, if I end up consulting with a corporation, I can kind of compartmentalize that time and recognize that I'm doing it for a particular reason, to learn something, to help someone out, to earn income, whatever it is. And I think that some people can also compartmentalize social media in a way. Perhaps if you are grounded enough and you really do understand who you are and why you're there. But I started on these platforms back in, you know, 2007 or eight, and I definitely wasn't a fully baked person at that time. And so you start out out of curiosity on those things. And then I think they just end up pulling you in a bunch of different directions because you don't know why you're there. I don't begrudge anyone, especially business owners who use those platforms as a tool to connect with people and then to service their business or whatever it is. I just personally don't think I'm emotionally strong enough to be able to do that yet. And also I just feel like there are better uses of my time. And you know, if I if I look at the sources of customers and the real valuable connections that I've made over the years, they have come from blogging, podcasting, email, and to some degree Twitter for some reason. Maybe that's because it's a contextual or it's a text format as opposed to visual. Maybe it's because just of the people that I've connected with there. I know that a lot of people complain about Twitter and and they just get a lot of nastiness from it. I don't experience that myself and I don't know what that is, but I think it also speaks to really just reflecting on how each of the different platforms is servicing you and not necessarily to think about social media is this giant mass of things that you have to do. 
mm-hmm. um, together, but that you know each one can be considered separately. And if there's something that you do connect with and serves you well, then that's okay. I'm on the fence. I don't know that I will continue on Twitter. I haven't been spending that much time there. And I think it was just my security blanket to hold on to <laughs> after I closed all of the rest of the accounts. It's a bit of a, an experiment in progress. With all that has been said and done with with that and the direction that you're moving now, what are you most grateful for? I would say I'm most grateful for friends and relationships and nature. Those are the three most grounding things to me. But in terms of my personal journey, I would say that I'm most grateful for self-actualization and recognizing that life and being yourself is a journey. It's incredible to me to think that 10 years from now, I hopefully will be a more refined version of myself who understands better what's going on inside of this ball of chemicals that sits on top of my body and what my real place is in the world, the place that feels most harmonious to myself and other people around me. Mm -hmm. That's just an amazing gift that all of us have to go through this life with. I'm really grateful that I recognized that at an earlier age instead of just fighting my way through life and trying to just grab more and more resources and status and and so on and instead mm-hmm. giving myself the space to explore some of the softer things that really at the end of the day matter when you're lying on your deathbed thinking about what your life meant with respect to self actualization have you experienced thus far as a result of more of this kind of focus well a big part of it to me is um finding your voice and recognizing where you can speak from a place of confidence and knowing that what you're saying might be useful to someone else. That's a really important thing to me that being useful to other people, I think is is one of the things that enriches me the most and makes me feel whole. And so finding your voice, I think, is about taking in a lot of sources of ways of thinking and having a lot of conversations with people and then reflecting back what you've learned from it and refining that over time. Mm -hmm. For me, that has happened as a result of writing hundreds of articles and recording hundreds of podcast episodes Mm -hmm. and just finally getting to a place where I feel like I know what my voice is. Mm -hmm. It just takes a lot of communication. And I think a lot of people don't have that luxury because they just communicate with the same handful of people week in and week out and don't really get a chance to take the time to step back, to gather their thoughts, to refine them. I think that even if you don't have a platform and and people out there who are listening to you, you can do a lot just from journaling and writing because it takes so much mental energy to refine a thought enough to put it in writing and feel like you could give that to someone else to read and comprehend versus just having a conversation. And through writing, you get better at conversation and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anyone who is feeling like they struggle with who they are and understanding who they are and what their place is in the world, I think could benefit a lot from at least journaling, if not 
starting a podcast or a blog or something like that. What's on the horizon for you with your writing? Where do you see it going at this point? That's a great question. It's funny because this is one of the things where my head and my heart get in conflict with one another because I think my heart is in writing. I recognize mentally my head tells me that whenever I spend time writing, amazing things happen and new layers of growth and opportunities, connection, all of these things happen. But at the same time, my head causes me to do other things, to take on other projects and other things. And so writing for me almost feels like a lifelong pursuit that I will eventually give myself the time to pursue as my primary objective, as opposed to being a means to an end. Right now, it feels a bit more like a tool that I use occasionally to open up opportunities. For example, just over the past nine months since I've been writing somewhat more regularly, all kinds of people have reached out to me. And I, I've been on you know dozens and dozens of podcasts, partnership opportunities, and other things have come my way. And then I end up pursuing those things as opposed to returning to writing because I have a hard time saying no when opportunities present themselves. A long way of saying that writing, I feel like, is part of my foundation and part of my being, but that I have not maybe matured enough to the place where I'll allow myself to do that as my primary pursuit. Well, sometimes we just have to allow things to blossom in their own time and just follow the path that makes sense for us at that point in time. And, you know, obviously writing is still very important to you. It's a part of your life and it's a way that you express yourself. You know, hopefully at some point down the road, if it's meant to be, then you'll do more with that. In the meantime, are there any particular opportunities right now that you're exploring that have significant influence for you in terms of your own personal growth? Yes. One opportunity that has come up for me recently, it's a very interesting sort of circuitous path to where I am now. I had a client 10 years ago. I coached her on writing a blog and preparing to write a book for six months or so. And we stayed in contact and had a great relationship. She went on to pursue all kinds of opportunities and about two years ago reached out to me for some help. And I had started a software platform for communities called Palapa. It turns out that she is working with an organization called Sounds True that represents a number of big name authors, including Eckhart Tolle who is a best-selling author, is on Oprah's book list, all those sorts of things. Long story short, Eckhart Tolle became a customer of Palapa. And now Sounds True, which is an amazing 35-year-old organization run by a woman named Tammy Simon, who basically has a personal mission of helping people explore their spiritual side, not in a religious sense, but just in an understanding yourself better kind of sense. She started this business when she was 22 years old with a little bit of inheritance money. And now it's grown to 100 people and represents a lot of really big name authors and has a ton of interesting opportunities. Mm -hmm. I am consulting with them on a new platform that they're building. It's really kind of combining a number of things for me. One is running communities because I've been doing that myself at, at Fizzle for so long. The other is building software, which is something that I enjoy and love. And the third is this topic of mindfulness and self-actualization and all the things that we've been talking about, really heart-centered living. 
So it's really come together for me. And I feel like that's part of just knowing yourself and communicating to others about who you are and what you care about. And eventually those things come back to you and present themselves as opportunities. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see where this goes and, and happy that I'm able to apply a lot of the things that I hold dear to me as a whole person. Well, I wish you the best as you pursue that. Obviously, that's near and dear to my heart. Anything that has to do with writing and spiritual and personal development. I'm curious, do you have a specific spiritual or self-care practice? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the most important aspect of it to me is the morning walk or exercise, followed by a brief meditation. And uh, my wife and I do this together every morning. Either we go for a nice brisk walk or we go for a run or, or do something active. And then we come back and we meditate together and then get into our day afterwards. And just having that moment of, uh, you know, it's anywhere between 45 minutes and, and maybe an hour plus in the morning to start your day by feeding your physical self and then just clearing away all the thoughts and clutter, basically wiping the slate clean before you get started with the day has really seemed to set me up in a, a really nice pattern of stable uh, and positive mental health and really just gives me something to look forward to every day. Well, there's a lot to be said for whatever works for you. Just explore it and dive into it. And over time, you know, we shift into new things and experience new things as part of our routine. But if there is a go-to routine that feels good, we should all do it. Right. It seems logical, but I think what happens is a lot of people tend to think, I don't have time to do that. But, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. We do. You know, some of us have competing priorities, obviously. I feel for my friends who have multiple kids under six or eight years old. It's a very time-pressed existence. But even if all you can do is squeeze out 20 minutes, I think it can make a difference just getting a little bit of exercise and a little bit of mental space. And like you said, you know, we have to decide what matters to us. I think that some uses of time actually pay us back throughout the day in allowing us to be more effective, productive, engaged, all those sorts of things. So by saying you don't have time really, I think, is just kind of accepting that your day has to be as crazy as it is every day, as opposed to taking a breath and then recognizing that by taking that breath and that time that you'll feel the benefits throughout the day. Yeah. And sometimes it's just about allowing yourself to get a little bit creative and just create the space to make it happen. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about your journey uh, that would help our listeners, things that have shaped your way of seeing and feeling and being in the world? Yeah. You know, I, I guess I would say that the other thing that I think has been a thread throughout this conversation that we didn't put our finger on exactly is creativity or the act of creating things. To me, there's a big difference between consuming and creating. I consume plenty. I think we all do. There are so many great options out there for media that can be really enlightening. And I, I learned so much from a lot of my favorite podcasts. But I also have learned, I would say, even more 
through the act of creating something myself. You know, a lot of people out there, I think, spend a lot of time consuming. And if you just shift some of that time over to creating, even if it's something that isn't going to necessarily be consumed by an audience, even if it's just for yourself, like we talked about journaling or, you know, making art or music or whatever it is, I think um, that act of pouring yourself into some external piece of work, even if it's a, a precious private kind of thing, can just be so enriching and you can learn so much about yourself by doing that. Absolutely. It's a way of self-exploration and actually uncovering your own potential. Yeah. More of us need to do that. And it's just really about taking that opportunity to be able to do it and putting ourselves in the right environment so that we can create. Because I think that's really what makes the world go around is creating because nature is always creating and we're part of nature and we need to do that. Yeah. Any other things you'd like to share or words of wisdom? Well, I think most of what I've been thinking about is over on my personal site at CorbettBar.com. If you're interested at all in the idea of leaving social media behind or reconciling your digital self and maybe readjusting things so that you feel more represented by the things that you've published out there as opposed to controlled by or obligated to in some way. I think that would be a good place for people to start. And what about Fizzle? Yeah, Fizzle is a community and training library for entrepreneurs. And when I say entrepreneurs, I mean that in the more casual, lowercase e sense, I guess, meaning just individuals who want to earn a living by doing something that they actually care about. We have an amazing community of people out there building things from blogs about vegetarianism to freelance practices and everything in between. That's over at fizzle.co, fizzle.co. Great. Terrific. Well, I can attest to that. It's a, a great community and the courses are awesome. And so anyone who is looking to build an online business of any kind, and not even just that, there's so much that you have in your training library that all businesses can learn, solopreneurs as well. And, and you have a lot of solopreneurs in your community. I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. I think this has been a great discussion. Wish you all the best as you pursue your new digital kind of existence and look forward to seeing how things progress for you down the road. Thanks, Carol. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And I just want to thank all of our listeners for being with us today. It's been an awesome opportunity to serve you and to bring Corporate Bar to the show. If you would, leave us a review on iTunes and also subscribe to our show, share it with others. And uh, if you care to, you can check out our website at heartsriseup.com and our community on Mighty Networks, Hearts Rise Up. Until next time, have a beautiful day. Bye for now. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com.
www.ngcbible.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular Notes from Your Higher Self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive. Thank you.